This morning, as we continue our study looking at denominations, we're going to think about the Church of Christ. So there is one uh, right down the road from us on the main road, and they are around in most places, I think, although they're heavily concentrated in a few states. Uh, But we're going to look at some history and think about some doctrinal uh, differences as well, specifically thinking about baptism this morning. But first, I always like to think about the history. It's the easiest place to start. Uh, Church of Christ, kind of like we were singing all those songs this morning, Church of Christ started in the 1800s, really in the revival era, you might say, of the Second Great Awakening. And so this is when... Um, Two main names with Church of Christ would be Barton Stone and then Alexander Campbell. They were kind of the first uh, people to start this movement. And Barton Stone specifically was a big revival preacher in Kentucky in the early 1800s at the, uh, what was it called? Not the Stone Creek Revival, the Cane Ridge Revival in Kentucky which is the big, really probably the biggest revival during the Second Great Awakening there in Kentucky. So that's really where a lot of the Church of Christ started to uh, flower and bloom, was out of that kind of revival and spread. And so really the, the heart behind it was kind of this movement at the time called the Restoration Movement which is basically looking around, people started to look around at Christianity and the practices in American Christianity. And then they look at the Bible and they would say, these things don't match up. Uh, They would see things that either were against the Bible, but even more than that, just things that were extra on top of the Bible, especially in structures and denominational structures and things like that. And so one of the big things with the Church of Christ was they were seeking to return to what the Bible said and the original teaching of the New Testament. And if they didn't see it talked about in the Bible, then they didn't want to do it. Uh, They wanted to focus just on the Bible. What does the Bible say? How can I be faithful to the Bible? How can I use the words of the Bible and structure things according to the Bible? Which is where the name Church of Christ comes from. Uh, Because it's not uh, technically a bunch of different denominations. They looked at the New Testament and they said, there's just one church of Christ. And so they called themselves the Church of Christ. Uh, They called themselves Christians. They didn't uh, like a bunch of extra titles. And that's, I think that's admirable. That's good. That's a good impulse to have, right? We want to look at the Bible, do what the Bible says, say what the Bible says. And so that was really where the movement Uh, started was with these uh, two men during the time of the Second Great Awakening, early 1800s. And some of the beliefs that are unique to Church of Christ, if you want to boil it down to like one thing, this is really at the heart of it, is that there's no creed or confession but the Bible. So they don't have extra statements of faith or doctrinal statements. They hold the Bible and that's their guiding direction and everything, which again, uh, on the surface is a great statement, right? We want to be people of the Bible. 
and so that's really the, the heart of it. Or you could sum it up like this. If it's not in the Bible, they probably don't do it. So not only are they trying to get at the Bible, but anything extra outside of it, they're probably not going to do. If it doesn't explicitly talk about it in the Bible, they're probably not going to do it. And so that's why churches of Christ, traditional churches of Christ, don't have musical instruments in the church service. Because in the New Testament, when it talks about worship in the church, it doesn't mention instruments. And so it's not in the New Testament teaching on what the church is supposed to look like. And so because it's not there, they don't do it. So that's kind of the guiding principle of why if you go to a church of Christ, they're going to sing a cappella probably. Uh, some of them have started to vary on that. Uh, they're each individual churches. So they look at the New Testament and like us Baptists, they see each individual church has authority on autonomy, right? And so each individual church of Christ you go to may differ a little bit on everything as they look at the Bible. Uh, but most of them don't have musical instruments. They sing a cappella. That's also why if you go to a church of Christ, they're going to have multiple uh, pastors and they'll call them elders because they look at the Bible and usually the term for pastor is elder. Pastors used one time. Uh, we'll get to it in a few weeks here on Sunday morning in Ephesians chapter 4. But usually the biblical term is elder. Uh, and so they, they call them elders because that's the title used in the Bible usually. And they notice that in the Bible it's always in the plural form. It's always talking about multiple ones. So they have multiple elders at each of their churches, multiple people leading the church. And so that's, again, the reason for that, they look at the Bible and want to try to stay as close to the Bible as they can. They also don't have a denominational structure. So like we in the SBC have associations, we have state conventions, we have the SBC, they have none of that. There's no annual meeting to go to. Uh, they are just each individual churches that are independent they do cooperate some, but there's no real structure to it. It's just up to each individual church how they want to do it. There's no hierarchy or uh, denomination, so to speak. And so that's, again, because they don't see that in the Bible. They see people cooperating with, like, Paul or other people, churches cooperating with missionaries and things like that. But they don't see these big structures, right? So they, they try to avoid that. So that's the heart of it. If it's in the Bible, they want to do it. If it's not in the Bible, they, they try not to do it. Uh, and that leads to this specific doctrine that I want to think about this morning, which is baptism. So <clears throat> baptism is near and dear to our hearts as Baptists. Uh, but Church of Christ will look at verses on baptism and it will lead them to a certain position on baptism. So I want to look at these verses. Uh, there are three of them. The first one is Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And this is Peter preaching at Pentecost. The people ask, they're convicted of their sin, and they ask Peter, what shall we do? And this is Peter's answer in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's one verse. Uh, and they would tie 
Well, I'll talk about that in a minute. So let's read the verse and then we'll talk about it. So that's Acts chapter 2, verse 38. The next one would be 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. This is where it talks about God waiting patiently in the days of Noah, and then it compares how the ark uh, going through the flood is similar to baptism. In verse 21, 1 Peter 3, 21 says this, Baptism, which corresponds to this, the ark going through the flood water, now saves you. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you can kind of see a theme here. And then the next one is Colossians. This will be the last one we look at, and we will think about this one in a little more detail. Colossians chapter 2, verses, uh, verse 12. Colossians 2, verse 12. It says this, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised you from the dead. And so all of these verses on baptism, Church of Christ reads them, and they say this is very straightforward. Uh, The first one talks about baptism being for required for forgiveness of sins. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. So they would say baptism is required for forgiveness. uh, Or as 1 Peter said, it's required for salvation. It used that kind of language, right? Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. So they would say baptism is required for salvation. Or in this verse, we see in Colossians, they would read this and say, baptism is how we are raised to newness of life. Not only does it represent it, but it's actually happening right then at that moment where we are dying to the old self and raising to new life. So to sum it all up, Church of Christ would say, baptism is required for salvation. That. Uh, It's a part of conversion. They wouldn't say it's a work that's done by you. So they would still want to read the Bible and say that salvation is not by works. They would just say baptism isn't a work. But it's kind of like saying a prayer to God. When we say a prayer to God and we ask him to forgive us, well, baptism is kind of like that. It's not the prayer per se, but God uses the prayer and he saves us. Well, same thing with baptism, that it's not baptism per se that saves us. It's the faith and repentance that saves us and God works through the baptism. That would be how they explain it. That it's not why we're a child of God, but it is when we become a child of God at baptism. And so that's uh, quite a bit different than what we believe as Baptists. And it really comes down to this question, when does faith happen? Does faith happen at the moment of baptism, or does it happen before that? Is baptism actually part of how we are saved, or does baptism just represent that we have been saved? Is it symbolic? That's the Baptist position. Uh, So here's, 
Here's how I would explain that. Well, first, let me say Church of Christ. Church of Christ would say that faith starts at baptism. Like there's a connection between faith and the acts that flow from faith. In other words, you can't really separate faith from the action it produces. Or to put it, probably this is the clearest way. Faith is not definitive until it produces fruit. So how do you know you have faith? James says, faith without works is dead, right? Faith must have works. That's kind of the reasoning. You don't actually have faith until it follows through with the act of baptism. That would essentially be how they would describe it, why they tie baptism to faith and salvation. Uh, And that's how they reconcile passages that say we're saved by faith alone. And then these verses that say we're saved by seemingly saved by faith and baptism, they would say, well, those are talking about the same thing, the same process, so to speak. But that's not uh, what I would say. That's not what Baptists would say. And that's really not what most Protestants and evangelicals would say. Technically, I think Church of Christ is not evangelical because of this doctrine on baptism. Uh, But I won't work that out. But technically, they're probably not evangelical. They're, they're something else. Uh, Reformationist, something like that. Um, but here's how it works. Uh, I would say faith happens before baptism, that we're truly forgiven at the moment when we repent and believe in Jesus. And so, if we believe in Jesus today, someone uh, puts their faith in Jesus today, and they can't get baptized until Sunday, or they're just, they, they don't get baptized till Sunday. But they end up, for whatever reason, they get in a car wreck, something happens, they die before Sunday when they can get baptized. They are still saved, they're still a Christian because they have faith in God. Uh, that, that would not be the case in the Church of Christ. Baptism is a part of that process, right? That you have to have it. Uh, There are statements about you're not a Christian if you haven't been baptized. Um, And so I think that this passage in Colossians actually shows that. Instead of showing a connection between baptism and newness, uh, uh, dying to the old self, rising to the new life, uh, instead of showing that baptism is the point of conversion, I think it shows that baptism is actually after conversion. So we read carefully, right? Verse 11, it's always helpful to zoom out a little bit, look at the context. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 says that in him, that is in Christ, we are circumcised in our hearts. Verse 12 says that we are buried with him in baptism. So these verses are describing the benefits, the blessings of being united with Christ, of being in him, of being with him, right? But we have to zoom out and ask the question, when is it and how is it that we actually become in Christ, that we become united with Christ? These are the benefits of being with Christ in Christ. Uh, But how does that happen? Well, in the context, if you look back up to verse 6 and verse 7, it actually tells us. It tells us in verse 6 that we receive Christ Jesus through faith. 
And then it says, the same way you've received him, so you should continue to walk in him. That's in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And so we, we enter into Christ through faith. We continue to live as Christians through faith. So now that we're in Christ and we're with Christ, all of these spiritual blessings, benefits have been given to us. We have a changed heart, right? We've died to the old self. We've raised to the newness of life, right? That's baptism. But the way we enter into that life is just through faith, as verses 6 and 7 tells us. So that means that baptism is happening because we're already in Christ, not as a way to enter into a relationship with Jesus, but because we already have it. And so I think it's safe to infer that if that's how this passage is talking about baptism, then that's also the implication for those other passages as well, even though they may not go into all the detail of it. When they talk about faith and baptism, I think it's safe to infer that they're talking about it in this way that's right here, that we enter into a relationship with Jesus through faith, and baptism happens because we're in Jesus. So that's how I would explain it. Uh, and I think that's, I mean, that's a big deal. That's a big doctrine. It's, I've thought a lot about it, not just this week, but especially this week since uh, we've been looking at this study. And it's really hard for me to not say that requiring baptism for salvation is not salvation by works. Uh, yeah, you have a question or comment. Yeah, that's a great point. So um, the point was, if you didn't hear it right, the, the thief on the cross, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, and he wasn't baptized. Uh, I think that's convincing as well. Um, I know what their answer would be for that, uh, but I still find that convincing as well, yes. Mainly because Jesus died before the criminals ended up dying. So it didn't happen before Jesus' death. The criminal died after Jesus died, but there's more to that as well. But yes, that's a great point. That is a great point. And so that's how I would explain it. You can then also, I think, go give those examples. I think the whole Bible teaches this consistently, that we're saved by faith, and then baptism is showing what happens inside of us. But I think it's helpful to be able to to explain that and why that is, because the verses that they list do at the surface seem to say you need both, that baptism is required for salvation. So it's helpful to, to think through this issue, right? But, you know, it does seem like it is a different gospel than we proclaim. Uh, if we would say you're saved by faith alone, they would say you're saved by faith and baptism that seems very similar to what Paul was writing about in Galatians, where in Galatians they were saying you're saved through faith and through circumcision. Uh, and Paul was very strong and adamant that's a different gospel. And so, you know, I want to be charitable. I understand the Church of Christ's argument that they don't see it as a work in addition to faith, but I just can't see that. I think it is. Now, it's possible because each individual church is different. Maybe each individual church would have a slightly different view. You would have to just check that out with 
whoever goes to whatever church because they are independent, again, of each other. But that is, uh, it's definitely a topic you can bring up if you know anyone who goes to a Church of Christ church and just ask them, hey, what do you think about baptism? Uh, what's its role in salvation and conversion? So that's how I would explain that. Uh, like I did last week with Methodism, I kind of want to zoom forward in Church of Christ. I'm not going to touch on all these denominations in the future, so I'll name them now. Church of Christ has split off throughout the years into a few different denominations. Um, not every church that has the name Church of Christ comes from them. So, for instance, Church of Christ in God is a denomination. That does not come from Church of Christ. That comes from more of the Pentecostal vein uh, later, and so we'll get to that. But Church of Christ first split in the early 1900s into Church of Christ and Christian Church's Disciples. So that split happened, and that, that split happened on, well, it happened about music, but it happened about other things as well. Can we do things that are not against the Bible, even though they're not listed in the Bible? That was kind of where that split went. And then that churches, Christian Church's Disciples then split into Christian Church's Disciples of Christ. So if you're familiar with that, there's one of those in my neighborhood, actually. Uh, up off of Beglis. Christian Church's Disciples of Christ then split off from that split, and they split off because they wanted to, well, so a couple of reasons. One, because they wanted to have more denominational structure and not be quite as independent. Also, because they have very much gone a liberal direction. Uh, and so it could be said they're maybe the most liberal <laughs> denomination now around is the Churches of Christ Disciples of Christ. Uh, but that's kind of some of the ones that split off. And then, of course, there's still the traditional Church of Christ. Uh, some of them have instruments, some of them do not. Um, but they still try to look at the Bible and say, what does the Bible say? We want to do what the Bible say, what the Bible says. And really, that's, that's admirable. We want to imitate that. We don't agree with them on everything that the Bible says. We, have, uh, we think the correct interpretation is something else, but we still want to be people who look at the Bible, who are all about the Bible, who are only getting our beliefs and our practices from the Bible and not adding to it and doing other things. So in that sense, it's a very admirable impulse, uh, but it has seemed to have gone wrong in some serious ways, especially with baptism. So that's Church of Christ and some history, some doctrine, especially on baptism, some of the denominations that have come from that. And that's what we have for this morning. Any questions, comments, thoughts as we wrap up this morning?